This is Ibadi NX, and welcome to another episode of The Candid Frame. Over the last five and a half years, I've interviewed a lot of photographers, and though I've touched on the business end of photography in some of those conversations, I've not really gotten into detail with it, but increasingly I'm realizing that it really is an important aspect. Whether or not you're trying to make it uh, as a professional working full-time photographer or even a part-time photographer, there's certain ideas and concepts and practices that are are really important to understand. So when I had the opportunity to talk to Jeff Sedlick uh, recently, it was was a long time in the making because I realized that the topic of licensing, copyright, Protecting your images is really an important consideration, and I think it's given short shrift. I know a lot of people are worried about their images being stolen outright, but there's a there's a lot of gray area there that I think is really kind of important to understand from the point of view of a working photographer. And even though this conversation is just the tip of the iceberg, uh, hopefully it will provide you some things to consider and to think about as you go out there and put your images out on the web and share them on Facebook or, or, or try to make a living selling and licensing your images to, to your clients. So sit back and enjoy our conversation with Jeff Sedling. This episode of The Candid Frame is sponsored by Adobe Lightroom. Perfect your photography from shoot to finish with Adobe Photoshop's Lightroom 4 software. One of the great strengths of Lightroom is its ability to organize and manage my images. Now, if you're like me, you're probably producing tens of thousands of images a year, if not more. And sorting through those images, cataloging them, organizing them, getting to the point where you can find some of those images quickly when you really need them can really be a chore if you're using traditional methods like creating folders and subfolders. But the strength of Adobe Lightroom is its ability to allow you to organize your images in a way that makes sense to you. Not only can you apply keywords to your images to make them easily accessible on your system, you can also gather your images in catalogs and collections that are based not just on what you shot, but on concepts and ideas. In fact, I have a video on my YouTube channel where you can actually see how I use Adobe Lightroom to actually organize my images so that not only are they searchable, but they start making sense where I have the opportunity to compare images, to to refine my edit, to make sure that I'm presenting the best images of a shoot possible. And that's definitely one of the strengths and a big game changer for me in terms of how I see, collect, organize and distribute my images. And I think that once you've had the opportunity to try it yourself, you'll see what I'm talking about. So click on the link on the blog at thecandidframe.com and check out all the resources that Adobe has there for Lightroom and also download the fully functioning trial and try it out for yourself. Well, Jeff, welcome to The Candid Frame. Thank you. It's taken us a while to finally sit down and and have a chance to talk, but uh, I think it's going to be well worth it. Between our two schedules, it's a miracle. (laughs) So there's a lot that we could talk about, but uh, why don't we start off, um, before we get into the whole Plus Network and and everything else, um, you have a track record as as quite the photographer, especially of of jazz uh, performers. So why don't we start off with with that? Um, What came first, the love for jazz or the love for photography? I think the love for jazz, but I would have had to have been uh, 
four or five with my dad uh, playing the jazz. And then uh, I think my dad gave me my first camera when I was around five. So then the love of photography came into, the, came into being. And from there, it was a, a love of both. So how did you manage to connect both of them? Well, I um, decided that I wanted as a personal project to try and shoot some portraits of some of the masters of jazz and, and blues and to do it in a way that reflected my perspective on their music. And I'm very conceptual when I shoot. And, and um, so I just set about getting access to the people that I wanted to get access to. So how do you mean to do that? Because it's, you know, when people think about the music industry today, they think about all the challenges and all the hoops you have to get through to just even just shoot a performer at an at, at event, much less having the opportunity to have a session with them as a portrait session. So can you tell us about one of those early experiences in terms of you getting that kind of access in the image? Sure. Well, there's always more than one way to get something done. And you really need to dig under that wall, jump over it, go around it. Don't make any assumptions that there are barriers to what you want to achieve. In this case, um, my first major music portrait, I think, was B.B. King. And um, I was fresh out of Art Center. I think it was 1987. And I was on an appointment at MCA Records. And I noticed that the art director, when I walked in, was looking at a photo session of B.B. King images and cursing under her breath. And they were just your typical smiling, overlit, um, holding up the guitar kind of images. And they were really looking for something special. And I and she mentioned that to me, but she wasn't—you know—she didn't mention it to me in the context of that shoot or anything. I was mm-hmm. just a kid coming in there with a portfolio. Uh, but I took that to heart, and uh, shortly thereafter, BB King was in town for a concert at the Universal Amphitheater, and I thought about it. And I thought, well, maybe he's staying at the Universal Hilton. So I put together a couple samples of my work and wrote a letter, dear BB King. I would really like to photograph you in your dressing room, either before or after your concert, uh, please give me a call. And I put a couple of samples of my work. I drove over to the Universal Hilton and uh, gave the bellhop 20 bucks and my letter. And sure enough, B.B. King was there. Mm. He slid it under the door. I got a call from B.B. King by the time I got back to my loft downtown. Sure, come on over. You can have 10 minutes in my dressing room. Wow. And so I took one of my buddies from Art Center um, over there and uh, uh, set up a seamless and pre-lit it, and B.B. King walked, walked in, and I made a photograph, and ultimately it was the cover of his uh, Lifetime retrospective CD box set. Wow, that's an amazing story. You can just go make things happen. As a photographer, there's really no ladder to climb. It's really all up to you, and I, I firmly believe that. And In terms of getting access to other musicians, I went to the music magazines and started shooting insert shots for them, worked my way up to features for them, worked my way up to covers for them, started shooting um, um, album covers at the time, which are now CD covers, and then who knows what they are now. <laughs> but um, I parlayed those photographs, those sessions, into uh, making sure that the musicians could see how passionate I was about my craft and about their work and about making them look good and about saying something about their work. And from those editorial sessions, it just turned out that they would insist on me to be the photographer for their next releases. And I developed relationships with quite a few people, and it mushroomed off from there. Uh, 
you know, I, I can't say that I made my living doing that. I have been principally an advertising photographer. Um, I shoot advertising campaigns involving people. The music stuff has been a really wonderful experience, and I have certainly generated revenue from licensing that work. Um, I haven't done that for a living, though. Mm-hmm. Well, on the point of licensing, that's one of the things we wanted to sit down and, and talk uh, about today. Um, for people who don't understand the, the concept of licensing, um, why don't you briefly explain what that is and what and what role that plays in terms of a photographer being able to make a reasonable living from from their work? Sure. Well, the word licensing, it just tends to make people's eyes roll up in their head and they go right to sleep if you mention the word. But really, all a license is is a permission. And as a photographer, uh, the moment that you capture an image, you own that image unless you've somehow signed your rights away. And a license is just you granting permission, whether it's to a client or to your mom or to whoever it is, to make use of that image. If you post it to a social network, you're granting a certain license that you agreed to when you signed up for that social network. If you hand it to a friend and and say, go ahead and put it uh, you know, make a print and display it somewhere that the, the ability for them to make a copy, um, you're granting them that permission. Even if you don't write it down, it just doesn't have to be something formal. Although it, it, uh, you know, I encourage photographers to write things down and document them so that everybody understands everything. A license is just granting permission for somebody to use something that you control and you do control the copyrights that underlie your photographs. And, and copyright basically means that you are the creator of the image, you own the rights to the image the way the images are, are used. Sometimes people get it confused, the copyright with, you know, registering the copyright, which is sort of two different things. You, If you can sort of explain that, uh, I think there is some confusion. And before we can get into a discussion of licensing, I think it's important to, to talk about the role that the copyright plays in in in, in licensing. Sure. Well, to fully explain it would be a whole day, so I'll just <laughs> skim it. Yeah. But um, uh, photographers, the public, lawyers, even judges sometimes use the word copyright to indicate that uh, a copyright registration, in other words, submitting a form to the copyright office. They say, I'm copywriting this, or it's copyrighted. A photograph is copyrighted when your shutter closes and that image is recorded digitally or however you're recording that image. You have copyrighted that image at that moment. Uh, the registration of copyright gives you some additional remedies if your work is infringed. In other words, it gives you the ability to some extra tools to enforce your copyright, but you already have some tools to enforce your copyright, and you already own copyright even without registering it. Nobody can make use of your work except for limited exceptions under something called fair use um, in, unless they have your permission. Talk about... The inter- you know the role the internet has played in terms of people putting up images. I mean, it used to be that in in order for someone to get access to your images, um, they'd have to actually have a physical something, a print, uh, a transparency, a slide available to them in order to be able to use your image. But now with the internet, images are being posted either on people's websites or on Flickr or wherever else. How has that been changing? the accessibility of people to those images and this whole issue in terms of getting permission or rights for for usage of those? Well, of course, it's affected it drastically from the moment that you first publish an image. Everybody in the world can access it, and not everybody understands what they can or can't do with your image. Um, The 
belief is pervasive that things should be free and that you should be able to share and make use of things. And, and this is just an evolving perspective on intellectual property. And I'm sure that we'll see intellectual property laws like the Copyright Act be amended to reflect the culture's kind of perspective on it. But um, as you said, it used to be that we would um, hand over images to somebody and you're handing over a print and they put it on their wall or uh, or whatever it might be. And it's, it was easier for them to keep track of whatever rights you were allowing them. And you really didn't have such wide dispersal. Of course, you had reproduction of your image in magazines and in newspapers and uh, books and, and all over the place. And that reproduction was substantial, but the ease of copying is what's changed. Right now, you just drag something onto your desktop or or uh, make a screenshot, you've copied it. You can you know, copy a URL for an image, and y- you've, you've essentially allowed it to be copied when it's on other pages. So um, things have changed quite a bit. And unfortunately, while photographers' um, equipment and software for producing and managing their images has really moved along and evolved and, and become a fantastic tool. The distribution of images and the communication of your copyright information has not, and that's still back in the '60s. Uh, uh, you know, when you when a photographer delivers images to a client, let's say whether that's editorial or commercial or, or whatever it is, and if you write down in an email or in a PDF or even in a piece of paper, here's what you can do with that image. Well, where do you think that that PDF goes. It either stays attached to the email or gets dragged into some folder somewhere, or if it's a piece of paper, it gets put in a folder and never seen again. It used to be when you deliver images, you could staple a license to the front of a page of transparencies or to mm-hmm. a proof sheet or, or, or stamp it onto the back of a print or whatever it might be, and that's no longer the case. So what's happened is it's become very, very difficult for image users and for the public to understand and manage and track what they can and can't do with the image. You know, most people who work in corporations um, are sensitive to liability. They don't want to get sued for misusing images. They want to have access to the information in a way that they can understand and use it, but it's just not there. Um, In addition, it's become very difficult to determine who the owner is of all the images that you come into contact with. People are dealing with so many more images than they used to be, just millions of images. You know, if you look at a typical textbook project, um, at a textbook publisher, it could be twenty to twenty-five thousand, even thirty thousand images in a single book. And where did they get those images? They got them from photographers. They got them from illustrators. They got them from stock agencies. Some of them they own. They had their own photographers create them. How do they know what they can and can't do with all those mm-hmm. images? So it's a real challenge for any image user to manage it. And as a result, what we've seen come up is these demands for unlimited rights when people are. Um, acquiring images or acquiring rights from photographers instead of just saying uh, we're just going to print a brochure so we just need brochure rights they're saying we need unlimited rights and um, that's not coming out of greediness it's coming out of a fear of uh, being sued by the photographer for 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 overusing the image Uh, it's coming out of an inability to to manage the rights that they have for the image and, and it's really about also a cost in managing that image. If you have every for every image of the 
tens of thousands of images on your server as a graphic design firm or an ad agency or a magazine publisher, newspaper publisher, for every one of those images, if you have to go out and do research, well, when do we get that image and what did the photographer give us? And let's go find that piece yeah. of paper, that PDF. It can be very challenging. So how much of this is increasingly the photographer educating his clients in terms of such things because I've had in situations where people really don't understand the concept of licensing. They've used images in the past, but you give them a contract that involves licensing, and then they go, "What's this?" Um, when you're dealing with big corporate clients, it's obviously not an issue because they sort of recognize this. But uh, do you find that that that's really part of the responsibility of a photographer is being prepared to be able to educate their clients in terms of what? what rights they're licensing and having an understanding that there are certain limits to their usage? I think that you've really hit the nail on the head there. You know, I wouldn't say that it's a photographer's legal responsibility. I mean, you own the copyright as a photographer, and if that client uses the image in a way that you haven't permitted, that client has infringed your copyrights. Mm -hmm. So legally, uh, it's not a legal responsibility under copyright law, but I would say uh, that it is a professional responsibility. That if you want to have clients who enjoy working with you and if you want to make it easy for them to use your image and if you want to have ongoing relationships with clients, you want to make it as frictionless as possible. And that doesn't mean giving up your rights. It means making them e- making it easy for them to use your images within the constraints that, you've, that they've um, acquired in, in the license, the permissions and, and constraints. So I would say that <clears throat> it's a photographer's responsibility to communicate clearly and, and not – you know, you know, let's say photographers are great visual communicators, not the best always in the written word or even you know, oral communicators just having discussions with their clients. I meet a lot of photographers who tend to uh, not be listening to what their clients are telling them, and they're th- mm-hmm. maybe the photographer's thinking of what they're going to say next. It's just a human characteristic. Photographers really need to listen to their clients, and then they need to um, – make sure that their clients are listening to them and understanding them. And, and, and I really do think that we have a responsibility to educate our clients. You mentioned that uh, in the corporate world they, they understand what the rights are, and that's true of people who are experienced in their job. But in the corporate world, there are always people who are not experienced. Maybe they've been working in that job for three months. There's no school out there uh, for uh, you know, uh, t- teaching um, art directors what, um, you know, copyright licensing is all about really as far as i know you know as photographers like our students at the art center both of us teach there our students hear it from us they hear how to license they hear what their copyright is they hear enough that would enable them to help their clients to understand but on the client side maybe not yeah because one of the reality is in, in a lot of these offices if they if uh, someone says we need these pictures it usually falls on on the head of a an associate of some sort who may be just out of college, and probably one of the first places they go is Flickr, because that's where they've always, you know, looked for images or looked for images online. So they would procure those images, and they certainly don't have an understanding of, of, of copyright and, and things like that. They just know that they're supposed to provide their boss with a certain number of images, and and then at that point it become it can become um, it can come be problematic both for them and the and the photographer whose images are being used. Sure, I mean uh, we, we we saw an example just about a year ago where that exact thing happened. Uh, a, a certain car company had an ad agency who uh, had some junior art directors there who were asked to go get images for some uh, website advertising for that car line, and they went out and got images off of Flickr and 
somehow there were no approvals. They didn't approach any of the photographers, and they just began using hundreds of images to advertise this particular automotive line um, on the automotive uh, large automotive site. And then the photographers started seeing this, and, and it all blew up. Mm-hmm. And so people do need to have an understanding and respect for copyright. At the same time, you know, things are changing out there in the world, and copyright law was uh, made to benefit society. It's, it's, it's made to allow the creators to be able to earn some revenue from their images for a, a limited time, and then society owns those images after a certain period of time. And um, the ultimate beneficiary is society because we as photographers have an incentive to go out and create new things. People have an incentive to go out and write books, to create music, to create films because they can support themselves doing that. You take that away and there's not uh, a whole lot of uh, uh, incentive except for just that primal creative desire. Yeah. Well, because there's so many images floating around, one of the challenges is for from these for these clients or potential clients to find the photographers who've created them. And that's where your organization is, is, is playing a role. But, um, but tell us about how, why is that such an issue and why is it important that there be some solutions for it? Because some people would think, well, I embedded that information in my IPTC code when I you know, process my images in Photoshop or Lightroom. It's, the information's right there. What's the problem? Well, bless you for embedding that information because not everybody does. But photographers need to realize that you put that information in there, which is a very important step. But as soon as you put that information in there and deliver it to your client and they post it on the web or they publish it in print, that information is going to be gone. It's going to be stripped out. People are going to do screenshots. People are going to delete that information either on purpose or accidentally, and it's gone. And it's a growing issue. You know, when you go into any store in any country – Almost every product, even an Apple, has a barcode on it now. And there, there is a means that started uh, with a movement back in the 40s and 50s and into the 60s to create a way of identifying all the manufacturers of all the products in a standardized way of looking at the, of getting access to that information by putting a, uh, essentially an identifier on the product. And when you look at that identifier, it searches for information about that product and gives it to you, whether that's pricing or who made it or what it is. It's all right there. And that's one thing that photography, uh, it just never developed around photography. So about in, in, in about 2002 or so, when I was the president of the Advertising Photographers of America, I had a meeting with um, then Register of Copyright Mary Beth Peters. And she said, you know, your industry needs to catch up with the times. And I, I said, what do you mean? Look at this digital camera. She says, no, it's not about what you use to capture images. It's about what you use to identify you and your images and your rights, because all the other industries have ways of identifying those things. If you look at the book industry, there's ISBN numbers. If you look at music, there are codes inside that your music files that call home to the mothership when you are connected to the Internet and will uh, make sure that you don't use uh, music in a way that you're not supposed to, that sort of thing. Well, in photography, there's no such thing. There's no way to really uniquely identify, you know, John Smith photographer. And so she said, you better pull your industry together and get this done. And you need to create a global registry of all the creators in the world, all the images in the world, and a way to communicate rights information similar to what goes on with uh, barcode, which is like a universal product code. So I said, sure, I'll take that on. (laughs) (laughs) You know? And so I, um, you know, I'm very passionate about, um, 
making sure that independent artists have a future. And right now it's very difficult for somebody just getting into photography or even for very experienced photographers to make a living. And that's because we are not identified out there in the global network and neither are our images. And so um, I, what I started to do after my presidency of the APA was over was I went to all the other trade associations, not just the photography associations, but the illustration associations, the ad agencies, the design firms, the museums, the libraries, all the associations that either represent people that create or use or distribute or preserve images, including the stock agency associations. And I said, look, why don't we all come together, create an organization as a nonprofit that just does this one thing? It's going to create a global registry of works, and we're all going to be able to use it. It's going to benefit everybody. It's not a place where you go to buy uh, rights for images. It's not a place where you go to browse images. It's a place where you go to get information and where automated systems can also go to get information, just like a UPC. Um, you know, when somebody scans a barcode, it's, that's an automated system looking up rights information. So I said about pulling uh, volunteers together, and ultimately we got about 2,000 volunteers in 30 countries and we laid out what was going to be necessary to get the job done. And it was not, it's not a short-term project. And as I said, I started in 2002. We formed a nonprofit at the end of 2004 uh, with some, an initial grant from Adobe. Uh, they've been very kind and supportive of the PLUS Coalition. Uh, we recruited a board of directors that has one seat for every industry uh, that I mentioned previously. Mm -hmm. And we set about creating some standards that would enable rights to be communicated. Like, for example, you have the word brochure. Well, what does that mean? You have the word collateral. What does that mean? Um, all of these type of words require a definition if you're going to have a way of really understanding um, how images can and can't be used. And also, you have this global issue where an, an image that you publish on the web here in the United States is instantly viewable in Japan. It's instantly viewable um, in France. Um, how do those people understand, even if you put metadata in or around your image, how do people understand what they can do with your image? So you need a global system. You need automated translation of brochure with an English definition, a French definition, a Japanese definition, etc. Not some kind of Google translation that's approximate. Mm -hmm. You need an approved definition in every country. So we set about doing that. We created it in English. It took about two years. We defined about 1,500 words, and that is the plus glossary. That was our very first standard, and it was really a proof of concept. Can we get everybody from all these countries, in all these industries, including all kinds of competitors and organizations that might not normally get along to, co to cooperate. And we just set it up so that it's so narrowly focused that there's nothing really to argue about. Okay. So we established a series of standards that I won't get into here now, but we'll give you a URL at the end of this so you can have a look at them. And then we set out to develop the PLUS registry. So tell me about how this would work in, in sort of in the real world? Because uh, we were talking a little bit before about someone finds an image online that they would want to use. So if an image has been registered with the system, how would they make the connection between that image and the photographer? What would the photographer need to do, and how would, it, how would the mechanism work so they connect the, connect those two people? Sure. Well, if you step back from that, of course, if you're going to look something up in a registry, it has to be there in the first place. And I want to make clear that this is not copyright registration, even though the Copyright Office was the 
was the organization that suggested the creation of this. This is a system that allows people to find creators and find rights information. It is not the registration of copyright, although eventually it will include a wizard that will make copyright registration with the Copyright Office a little easier. Um, you know, the first step is the photographer has to get their images up and into the PLUS registry. That piece of the PLUS registry is under development, and we're just going to start testing um, within a short time after this interview, actually. And that process will be the photographer has a shoot or has a bunch of images, um, uploads low-resolution versions of those to the PLUS registry. And if you have five images or 10 or 1,000 or 10,000 or 50,000, it's a very simple process. There's no forms to fill out. You point a tool at a folder filled with images and, you know, go have a beer. Or if you don't drink, go have a coffee and let it let them upload. When they're uploaded, they'll be fingerprinted for image recognition and stored, each one of them stored in a separate record that only you have access to. And you can add whatever information you want to your images. If you've got metadata in your images, it'll suck, it, suck that information right up and put it into all the records for every image. So without getting into all the detail about how that works, the next step is, of course, now that you've registered your images, somebody's out there and finds one of your images somewhere. Let's say that um, 10 years ago, they tore one of your images out of a magazine, and they put it in a file that says, love these images. And they, and, and they, and they remember, they're working on a project, and they go, I remember there was one of those images that I really love, and they take out that file called Love These Images. They open it up, and they see that tear sheet. But with the way they tore it out, it's just your image. They don't know what magazine they got it out of. There's no credit line. There's nothing. Well, how do they go about finding you? Well, they could scan that image or shoot a photo of it with their cell phone and upload it to the PLUS registry. It will fingerprint that image and then compare that fingerprint against the entire database of PLUS images and within two or three seconds tell them your name, your address, how to contact you. If you've put information in there about that image, it will also give them that information, such as rights information or caption or uh, any kind of details about that image. And this does not exist in order for, uh, you know, strictly in order for uh, people to stop others from using images. I mean, if people want to use images, yeah. you're not standing there stopping them. But what it does is it pr makes information available to them. So that's one of the functions of the PLUS registry. And, and we could take a step back there, uh, from, even from that, because currently there's really no way for a photographer to find out whether one of their images is being used without permission or being used in ways that they, they, they would don't particularly like. Uh, I've heard stories where photographers have had friends like traveling abroad and they see their photograph being used for some advertising and they said and they call them back and say, Hey, do you know your picture's being used for this? And that's really the only way the photographer found out. Uh, just it was just by chance. You know, what resources are available now uh, and in terms because it's really the onus is on the photographer to to, to discover this, and if there anything like like most people that I know, uh, we're having hard enough time just eking out a living, much less scouring the world to see whether the images are being used inappropriately. So there are, in fact, a number of resources that photographers can use to uh, discover unauthorized use of their images. It's not very efficient, but it can be done. Um, you can. Uh, you can use Google Image Search. There's a new feature as of about a year ago. Uh, if you go to Google Images, click on the little camera that's in the field and drag one of your images into, into this box, it will go search and find images that are similar to yours and display them in a grid. Now, similar does not mean exactly the same, so you have to 
basically just page through many, many images. And um, I know if I do that, um, I better get set to sit down for a while because I just start to see my images everywhere. And then I have to figure out, well, is this a licensed usage or not, et cetera. There's also uh, uh, a company called PicScout, P-I-C-S-C-O-U-T, that um, their, one of their core businesses is um, looking out at the web, sending what they call spiders out to discover every instance of images that they can, and then coming back and reporting to image users where their images appear on the web. And this is a service that has a, a compensation scheme for, for PicScout. Um, they've also turned around and are doing image licensing using similar image recognition technology. And in fact, we have incorporated some of PicScout's technology into the PLUS registry, but PLUS is not involved in policing image usage anywhere or enforcing image usage. We're, we're about making information available. Who's that photographer? How do you contact them? What rights are associated with the image? Mm-hmm. Well, one of the reasons why this is becoming important because there's been legislation that's been going through Congress for, I think, since 2006 or 2008. Correct. Uh, the Orphan Works Act. Um, why don't you briefly explain what that is? Why the legislation is even needed in the minds of many people, but how it can also impact photographers. Sure. Well, if you are a visual creator or actually any kind of creator in the United States, you need to be aware of Orphan Works and what it means. You know, Orphan Works, if you just look at, at, at the phrase for what it means, uh, it is, a, it is a, a work that has been orphaned, whatever kind of creative work that is, but let's just concentrate on photographs here. So it's a photograph that's out there that somebody finds and, they, and it's been separated from the ownership information or it has a name associated with it and they can't find that person that work becomes an orphan work. And the problem is that if some of that work is of historical significance and nobody can get to the owner to get permission to make use of it, uh, society is harmed. You know, For example, if the Holocaust Museum uh, has a bunch of images and that they would love to show the public that uh, um, would provide information and understanding and help our culture to evolve, uh, but they can't use those images because they can't find the photographer, uh, that's a problem. And so it is a very real issue. And what's come of it was a proposed law, as you mentioned, in 2006 that would amend copyright law to allow anyone to make use of an image for almost any reason without the permission of the copyright holder by failing to find them. So in other words, that person, they find an image, they do what's called a diligent search, and there is no definition of diligent search. They just do a search that they would consider diligent and then others would consider diligent. And they can go about using that image, not just in a museum. They can put it on a billboard. They can put it in an ad. They can make posters out of it. They can change it and call it their own. Um, That's how that first version of the law was structured. It almost passed. Um, it, uh, It didn't. It came back up in 2008. And again, it almost passed. And um, it, it, it did not pass. But the reason that it did not pass was because we had the war effort, we had patent reform, we had health care, a lot of other issues, and Congress just said, let's put that on the back burner for right now. It's coming back within a year. And in fact, the Copyright Office, as of this recording, has just asked for comments from uh, stakeholders about Orphan Works again. When the law passes, and it will eventually pass in, in the next few years, anybody's going to be able to use your images by failing to find you. And um, you need, as a photographer, to make absolutely certain that people can find you when they find your image. And that's what PLUS is about. It's a nonprofit effort 
to connect your images to you and to the information about your images. So there's a, an idea that if you don't ever want to worry about your images not getting stolen, then you just don't put them on the web. Um, how realistic is that? I mean, because it seems like to make a living as a photographer, you have to have some sort of a web presence. What's your perspective in terms of that, of dealing with that in that, in that particular way? What kind of compromise do you think there's, there is for that? There's that perspective, and then there's their perspective of, well, it's just low resolution, and it's a you know bad JPEG quality or something like that, so what harm could it do? Well, the reality, folks, is that the web is the future for the usage of photography, and that nearly all of your usage of your images is going to be uh, usage in a digital format of some kind uh, going forward. And so the fact that you put a low-resolution image out there doesn't mean that your work is protected in any way. It can be used just as much as almost any other image. I've seen low-resolution uh, images of, or copies of my work been used to create T-shirts and advertisements and everything. They can res them up, but definitely they could still use them on the web. So uh, I don't think that photographers can take the position of, oh, I'm never going to put my work on the web. You can share it with somebody, and they're going to put it on the web. Certainly your clients are going to put mm-hmm. it up on the web if you are... Uh, showing your images, and that is the medium of, the, of now and of the future increasingly. So I don't think that that's a realistic perspective. I think that what we have to do is realize some professional responsibility, and I think that our clients are going to pull us into that responsibility because they are facing uh, uh, just an impossible challenge. So what you will see, at least from all of the various industries that are participating in PLUS, is photographers will start to see, in about a year, a request from their clients to put what's called a PLUS ID into the images that you deliver to a client. You put this unique ID that PLUS gives you into the, your images in your image metadata when you deliver it to a client, and when they look up that ID, it gets right to the information about the image. And um, when they do an image rec, if, if that ID is lost, they can get back to some of that information by using an image recognition search, but what they really want is an ID in there that when they look at that ID, it says, um, here's the rights that were granted from John Smith Photography to Acme Incorporated on this date, and, and this is how it can be used. And this is really what they're after so that their digital asset management systems, which are the kind of you know, just computer systems that manage images and other kinds of uh, creative works, visual works, written works, video, everything, can automatically manage images and so they can avoid infringing so that they can pay you when they want to use it for more than what they originally bargained for. So when the system is up and running, what, what kind of costs are involved? The photographer is required to, to pay a fee in order to be able to utilize the system? Is it something that's taken care of by the client? How, does it, how is that supposed to work? Well, the whole PLUS system is a nonprofit. And the registry itself has certain costs associated with it just to run it. You can think of it as a global co-op. Right now, there are, there are photographers from 85 countries registered, and we haven't even fully announced it yet. We're not even advertising it. But every day, we get registrations from all over the world. You can add yourself to the PLUS registry for free, uh, a listing that has your contact information, uh, your name, your business name, your website address, etc. cetera. Uh, when you want to begin putting images in, there's going to be a nominal cost, and I'm talking about fractions of a penny, to put images into the system so that the actual cost of storage, of backups, of insurance is covered. The more people that use the system, the lower that cost is going to be, but I'm literally talking fractions of a penny. 
Currently, we're asking photographers um, who come in at this early stage to contribute $75, and we give them an ID um, that uniquely identifies their business. That cost is going to drop um, over time the more photographers come in. That cost covers the uploading of uh, images. It, it, it covers the costs, most of the costs associated with the system. Similarly, when clients attach the system with their um, digital asset management software, they have to pay a nominal cost that's uh, annual in order to make use of the system. But, mm-hmm. you know, if you look at what's going on, for example, at the American Association of Advertising Agencies, they're building plus into their system that the ad agencies use to manage all of their photographs. Um, the publishers, the major publishers, have announced that they're going to require photographers and stock agencies to incorporate plus IDs into images that are delivered to them. The clients want this. This is not something that's just coming out of the blue. It's a very real problem that needs a real solution. And it's so much better to have that solution be owned and controlled by its users than to rely upon some kind of commercial venture. I mean, you will see registries of all kinds pop up out there in the marketplace, mm-hmm. people that claim to protect your rights. But in reality, if they're successful, they're going to be purchased probably by a major stock agency. And then somebody else is going to purchase that major stock agency. And all of a sudden, the registry is owned by, say, let's say, a giant search engine that's going to do what they want with it, not necessarily in your best interest. What we've done is create a way to make sure that forever the users of the system own and control the system and that it's absolutely neutral and doesn't favor any industry. Yeah. Do you see that photographers are sort of changing their their attitude to this end of the sort of the business? Because there's always sort of a preoccupation with procuring clients, making sure you get their check and get the check for, for the gig or, or, you know, the usual stuff. And this sort of has always seemed to be something that's on the back end for a lot of, a lot of photographers, but, there's been a lot of discussion, at least online, at least where I go, in terms of orphan acts and how that may um, impact photographers. And it seems like there's an increasingly awareness and a sensitivity to that. Do you see that as well, or do you think that it's that it's still a case where it's certain photographers are really active and concerned in researching this? Or what's your take on it? I think that um, in the '80s, um, when you when I came out of school. Um, if I didn't know anything about business, I still could have done pretty well. Um, I wasn't competing against the numbers of photographers that are out there. I wasn't competing against this um, uh, huge distribution system where any image of anything is instantly available to any client. Um, and I, I probably could have succeeded if I wasn't great in business. Today, I think that photographers are discovering that being a fantastic, creative, and technically capable photographer is not enough to survive as a photographer. And so when you have these really wonderful photographers coming up out of school or, or they've just come into the business or maybe they've been in the business for a while, and every year, you know, let's say April 15th, they look at that tax return and it's pretty close to zero or negative or not enough to support their family, that's a pretty good indicator that things are not working out for you business-wise. And it only takes a couple of years of that for people to start to get very interested in how to run their business more efficiently for them to come to a realization that either they're going to get out of the business or they're going to get serious about the business. You know, photography is a craft. It's an art form. But if you're in it to support yourself, it is a business and you've got to make no mistake, no, no mistake about that. Where, where can people sort of educate themselves in terms of finding out information? Because there's no shortage of websites out there dedicated to Photoshop tips and tricks. 
But when it comes to learning about this business end, sort of going out and taking a class somewhere, where where do you think are some of the more valuable resources for educating yourself on this 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 aspect of running a photographic business? Well, I think that photographers uh, should look to trade associations to help them to understand their business. And you look for a trade association that's kind of in your, your sector. You know, if you're in wedding or portrait, you've got WPPI or PPA or similar um, uh, associations. And, of course, you've got organizations um, in other areas like NPPA, National Press Photographers Association. You've got APA, ASMP, there's... Um, ASPP, all kinds of acronyms, but those acronyms, there's a lot to them. Those people are out there fighting for your rights every day. These are your fellow photographers and illustrators um, who have uh, quite a bit of knowledge and they're willing to share. It's a great place to go to get access to books and information on the web, standardized forms, all kinds of information that will help you to run your business better. In terms of your own work, both the jazz work that you do and the advertising work, have you found that you've needed to be much more aggressive in terms of protecting your rights to your images, or, or do you find that it just takes that much more time? Not, you don't necessarily have to be much more aggressive, but that it consumes more time than you might have, it might have taken in the past. I, I think that I have two revenue streams. One is from people who request my permission before using my work, and one is for people who don't request permission before using my work. And the people who don't request permission are going to pay somewhat more than the people who do. And I no longer get angry when I see my work being used without my permission. Usually it's the result of a misunderstanding. Some people, of course, are just insidious and are going to go out and purposely steal. But for the most part, um, there are mistakes involved, uh, oversights and things like this. And and so I no longer get angry unless somebody really insults me when I contact them. But I do dedicate some time to reaching out to people who are using my images without my permission. And I use tools, like I mentioned, um, uh, PicScout, um, Google Image Search, Bing Image Search, um, uh, there's a there's a company called E-Day, I-D-E-E, that has a tool called TINEY, T-I-N-E-Y-E, a great resource for looking up usage of your images on, on the web. But you have to realize that even those types of services are only showing you a tiny fraction, maybe less than 1% of all the usages of your images on the web. But that 1% can be considerable. If I was to do a search right now, I would find a 1,000 unauthorized usages of my image within five minutes. And I have to make a decision about the amount of time that I have to dedicate to my family, to dedicate to my business, um, and also to dedicate to um, investigating those, those usages. Um, when photographers find a usage that they that they would like to stop but that doesn't have enough, um, let's say, um, gravitas to, to go after and to, and to try and get compensation from, you can do what's called a DMCA takedown notice, which will um, force that party to take the image down. It forces the, the host of that website to take the image down. I encourage you to look up DMCA takedown notice. It's a very fast way to just get your images down without any conversation. Yeah, because it's important that people, a lot of people think, well, I can't do anything because I can't afford an attorney, you know, and think that they are completely powerless. And so even if you, you know, are in such a situation, you still need to sort of protect what your your rights are in terms of your, your images. Well, sure. I mean, a lot of photographers look at their work and, you know, some kinds of work. Let's say you shot some um, some 
wheel, some, some rims, some aluminum rims for some client. And you look at that and maybe you think, well, I'm not going to use that for my portfolio. I'm not going to use it for stock. You know, I just transfer the copyright to that client. And really, I think those photographers aren't really looking at their work correctly. The way that you should look at your work is not how, how valuable it is to you, but how valuable can you make it to that client? Can you shoot, shoot photographs of those rims that are help that, going to help that client to sell more rims, the best-looking rims in the world? Right, And so I never walk away from the copyright to my image. What I do is I use every job as an opportunity to create images that have more value and additional images that they didn't even expect that they're going to want to um, uh, license from me. And that's how photographers can make their living between jobs is additional licenses that are uh, where, where their clients come back and want more usage. Mm. Well, the last question I always ask my guests is I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? Well, my dear friend, Herman Leonard, a jazz photographer who passed away recently, was just a spectacular photographer who really captured the spirit of jazz. And since I'm so passionate about jazz, I'm going to tell people, go look up Herman Leonard, L-E-O. N-A-R-D, Herman Leonard, wonderful man, wonderful photographer, much missed. So where can people find out more about everything that you're doing? Go to plusregistry.org, P-L-U-S registry.org, and create your free listing in the Plus Registry. And there on that page, you'll find out more about the Plus Coalition, and it will also lead you other to our other site, useplus.org, where you can find out additional information. Well, thank you, Jeff. It was great talking to you finally. Thank you so much for the opportunity. The Candid Frame is supported by donations from people just like you. You can help support the work we do here by visiting the website at thecandidframe.com and contributing using PayPal. You can also support the show by writing a review in the iTunes Music Store or by adding a link to the podcast on your website or blog. The editor for this show is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. Music is by Kevin McLeod, and this is Ibadian X, and this is The Candid Frame. <laughs>